As far as the other things from Friday night, what I loved was Alonzo. Because Alonzo set the tone of this series. The RBI single in the first, the laser beam home run in the third inning. I know they got Tyler Naquin hitting two home runs and Vogelbach hitting another home run. But Pete really set the tone for this series. And that was great to see. And it was a really good win. I mean, a solid performance by Carrasco. You saw Edwin Diaz give you the flashes of what we're going to need as Met fans if the Mets are going to take this season to another level. He is so freaking important. And and the turnaround of Edwin Diaz, which some people mock. Like I was seeing the, the other day a lot of, hey, let's go back to 2019 and 2020 and mock all the Met fans for ripping Edwin Diaz. Well, yeah, he was terrible. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with admitting that we didn't trust Edwin Diaz for a very long time because he wasn't trustworthy. But what Edwin Diaz has done, and I think it's easier to say it now because here we are in 2022 where he's having this all-time kind of season, maybe the greatest season we've ever seen from a reliever. Edwin Diaz, every single season as a Met got a little bit better. A little bit better. 2019 was a disaster. And what's odd about 2019 is that he actually was really good for the first two months of the season. Edwin Diaz until Memorial Day was tremendous. Look it up. And then he just completely fell off a cliff. But even 2020 and then last year, he was a little bit better. Little bit better. And now we're at the point where he's got a confidence, where he's got a swagger where adversity doesn't kill him. The only thing Edwin Diaz did this season that I still don't understand was the the amazing comeback the Mets made against the Giants earlier this season. They came all the way back. They're about to win. Edwin Diaz gets this huge double play and then ends up blowing the game anyway. And after the game says, I screwed up because after the double play, I just figured the game was over. I'm like, What? You needed to get one more out. The game wasn't over. You're a closer. It has to get three outs. You got two, bro. It was a weird response, but look, I mean, that's a blip. That's the only blip, basically. He's been he's been amazing. Is he the National League Cy Young Award winner? No, he's not. But is he had a Cy Young caliber season? Yes. My view on closers winning the Cy Young is this. You need help if you're going to be a closer to win the Cy Young. You need there not to be another guy. And sometimes there isn't. Sometimes there are years in Cy Young races where there just isn't another person, where the next best starting pitcher had like a high two ERA. But as Pete will tell you, and he will say it so proudly because he's on his fantasy team, Sandy Alcantara is the Cy Young Award winner. I mean, There's, what do we what do we do? I mean, what is he? Four complete games already this season. I think three of them are shutouts. By the way. Uh, one negative about our fantasy league is about two or three years ago, we decided to take away the complete game shutout stat. And that would have been huge for me this year. I'd be winning it every week. It'd be outrageous. <laughs> I had to take it away because nobody was getting complete games anymore. I feel bad, trust me, because I've had complete games this year too. I've got this great rotation, but I had to do it. I apologize. But Sandy Alcantara is the Cy Young Award winner. He just is. And that, that's not a knock on Edwin Diaz. The, the MVP thing is more interesting. John Heyman brought that up the other day, and it's it's interesting. I don't agree he's an MVP, not that Heyman said he is, but sometimes a closer can be an MVP because they impact more games. Uh, when Willie Hernandez won the MVP and Dennis Eckersley won the MVP, 
Well, specifically Willie Hernandez, before I get to Eckersley. Willie Hernandez won the MVP and the Cy Young in 1984 for the Detroit Tigers. 84, yes, 84. It was the year they won the World Series, so 84. He threw out of the bullpen, and I don't have this in front of me, but I'm just based on history, like 140 innings. So he was a reliever who pitched multiple innings every single day. And look, Edwin Diaz did pitch multiple innings the other day, but he's not ending up with 140 innings. But I do understand how the MVP could be considered most valuable, but it goes back to the same point I made about Cy Young. To have a reliever win the MVP, to me, you need the help that there's nobody else. You need it to be that kind of year where there's really no outstanding candidate. And right now in the National League, there is an outstanding candidate. And that's Paul Goldschmidt. And they're in first place, or at least they're close to first place. They're in a playoff race. So the Mets don't need to bring home all these awards. They only need to bring home one award. Well, a few awards. Award number one, the National League East. Award number two, the National League Pennant. And award number three, a world effing series. Now, those are the only awards that matter. And now we can look at this series in a much more traditional way. The Mets won game one. The Braves won game two. Now it's a three-game series, okay? Now it's your traditional three-game series. And here would be my realistic goal looking at this weekend. Win one of the two games against Atlanta. Win one of the two games in this doubleheader. Naturally, the Scherzer game seems to be the, the, the more winnable game. But then again, you are facing Max Fried, who ain't easy to beat. Win one of these two games. Hand the baseball to Jake. 2-2 series and say, hey, you're familiar with a game five. Remember the Dodger game? Bring it home. And even though the Mets don't win when Jake pitches, maybe everything's about to change. So right now, we're back to square one. The Mets win game one. The Braves fight back. And now, let's go. We'll give you uh, another Rico Bronya after this series is over. We'll focus on the final three games of this series, the double dip, and obviously Jake's return to City Field, and we'll see where we are. How you feeling, Pete? You feeling all right? You feeling confident, or are you feeling tired? I'm very tired, but I do feel st- I still feel very good about the series. I, I, I think you nailed it. You know, today wasn't a good game by t- for Tywin Walker, but yesterday really simmered things down. I still very, feel very good about taking the series. All we need to win is two games. It's all good. No pressure. And by the way, one thing that I wanted to hit on. We loved that move so much yesterday with Edwin Diaz. It was so important, and for many different reasons, especially today, it wasn't even to be used. Guess who tried to make the same move today in the Yankee game? Aaron Boone. Oh, did he? I'm on DVR. I haven't seen anything about the Yankee game. I usually do it. Now, you can spoil it because... That's okay. Like, you can give me the result. But what, he asked for six outs from Clay? Uh, well, he put him in the eighth inning. I'll just put it that way. Well, he's done that before, though. Because because here's the thing, and it's not just Boone and it's not just Buck. We have now moved into a world in which managers in general are good with using their best reliever in the eighth inning. Like, it used to be such a crazy thing. Like, oh, my God, you're using our closer in the eighth inning. I think now it's more, it's become more normal. And even though it, it's a six-out save, and I understand that, and it's similar to Mariano Rivera, the reason it's not fully similar to Mariano Rivera is that Buck would have taken Edwin out if he threw 17 pitches in the eighth inning. 
I'm convinced of that. I mean, I believe what Buck is saying in that regard, and I've seen him do it going back to that game against the Dodgers. So I don't think it's necessarily, okay, Edwin, now in the playoffs it's different. But in the other night's case, and in sometimes the case with Clay Holmes, because Boone's done that before, it's not you're getting six outs. It's I'm giving you the eighth inning because this is the most important inning, and then we'll see about the ninth inning. No, we'll see. Do we need him in the ninth inning? Should we do him in the ninth inning? We'll see. So I love the fact that managers have made that normal because for a long time it wasn't. Now, normal. now, but my question too is this: is if, if this is something that's kind of we touched this on the last podcast? You said you know the starting pitching is pretty much going six innings. I'd still like them to go one more because it helps lessen the workload of the bullpen. You know, because now rather than having to go to Edwin Diaz as much. Maybe, or even though we do know we're going to rely on Edwin Diaz, now there's just one other guy you have to rely on rather than multiple guys. My question too is here though, the mentality of the closer needs to change now because we don't have those quintessential Mariano Rivera's, you got the ninth. You're you're the eighth inning guy. Now it's literally, you get whatever inning we choose to, to throw you in because this is the most important part of the game. Can the relievers adapt? I, I think that it's already happening. I mean, Edwin Diaz, when he... I won't even use the other night because it was a six-out save, but the game against the Dodgers, where he came in in the eighth inning against the heart of the order, he was great. He was great. He adjusted fine. And the guy who blew the game was Seth Lugo, a guy who didn't blow the game because of the enormity of the ninth inning. He blew the game because he's Seth Lugo, and he's not that good. Like, Seth Lugo's pitched the ninth inning before. So... Andrew Miller started to change this years ago, the way Miller was used by Cleveland out of the bullpen, where basically Francona said, this is my best weapon. I'm going to use him in the biggest spots. Now, I don't know if we're ever going to see this more exaggerated where Buck uses Diaz in the seventh inning. Like, does that happen? I'll give you an example. Bases loaded, one out, you're up by two runs, Acuna and the top of the order is coming up and it's the seventh inning. Like I could make a fair argument to you. F it. I'm just going to Edwin Diaz right there because if I go to Trevor May, there's a decent chance I blow the game. I never use Edwin Diaz. I never get to him. And I think everything in life is a lesson. Buck Showalter learned a lesson years ago about Zach Britton. He learned, oh my God, I didn't use my best reliever. I'm not saying it takes you to that moment where you're using him in the seventh inning, but you have to consider it. And I think those things are being considered for the first time ever, where if I have a great pitcher out of the bullpen, why am I saving him for a moment that A, may not happen, and B, maybe against batters that aren't nearly as good as the guys I'm asking a lesser pitcher to get out in the eighth or seventh inning. So I don't know if Buck's ever going to do that because it is out of the box. Like, you go to Edwin Diaz, bases loaded, one out in the seventh inning. He's not getting an eight-out save. You're not asking him for that. You're asking him to get those two outs and then maybe three more. So, it'll be fun. I, I Again, I don't think this situation would arise in the regular season. It's more a postseason question. But one thing Buck's done, and it's so different than the former manager, who I don't even want to mention the name of. The former manager used to be on with Craig and I, and I pushed him on games being different. In September and April, he said, I manage every game the same way. And Buck admitted yesterday, it's a different time of year, man. And it is. It is a different time of year. And these are different kinds of games because these games are really, really important. Winning the division is essential. 
I don't have official odds. I'll just give you the odds in my head. If the Mets win the division, I think they've got a decent shot to win the National League pennant. Pretty good. 50-50? Maybe. If they settle for a wild card spot and have to go through San Diego and LA and Atlanta, I think their odds are very slim of winning the pennant. Doesn't mean they can't. Of course they can. You have Max Scherzer, you have Jacob DeGrom. They're a very good team. Not saying they can't. I'm saying the obvious, which is their odds become a little bit more difficult. So make your odds as small as possible. Win the freaking division. And I don't think we can take, our psyche can't take not winning this division. And I brought this up earlier. I didn't get to expand on it. I'm not going to expand on it. I just want to give you the information. This franchise has basically never won a pennant race. Never. Think about this. 73, they did. 1973, they legitimately won a pennant race. They sucked, but they won a pennant race. They were under 500 in last place in August or whatever they were. They had a great September. They won a pennant race. Only time. 1969, they ran past the Chicago Cubs while they were standing still. They won that division going away. 86, no pennant race. 88, no pennant race. When's their next division title? Oh my God, I've got to go to 2006. No pennant race. 2015, we thought there'd be a pennant race and then they blew past the Washington Nationals. But there have been pennant races that they've lost. 2007, they lost. 2008, they lost. 1999 and 2000, may have made the playoffs. They didn't win the division. They lost. 1985, they lost. 1984, they lost. This franchise, and I know it has nothing to do with Francisco Lindor. It doesn't. I know that. But this franchise and us, we as Mets fans, we have never seen the Mets win a pennant race. Like legitimately win a divisional race. Hasn't happened. Want to find the wild card race they won? Great. There's a few of those. But other than 1973, this franchise has never won a divisional race. Win this divisional race. End it. Or make it not a divisional race and run away with it. So this can go into the cupboard of 2015, 2006, 1988, 1986, and 1969. Yeah, no, I think for, for my heart, I'd take that route because I can't take any more craziness. I wa- like The playoffs are going to be crazy as it is. Every team in the NL is going to be pretty much stacked. You're going against the, it's, it's the Padres, it's the Dodgers, Cardinals are going to be around, Brewers, who knows what's really happening with them. And it's going to be the Braves. I mean, the, the, those are the teams we're probably talking about. They're all pretty much stacked, in my opinion. They're all tough. So whoever we're facing, that in the playoffs, it's going to be tough already. I don't need that craziness going into a pennant race. I just want to take the division, call it a day. I want it a week before the season ends, we get to pop the champagne. Yes, I want to sit back and watch some dopey wild card series and debate with you. Who would you rather face? Right. <laughs> you want to face the Brewers? You want to face the Phillies? Well, Philadelphia is a great commute. We could just drive on down there and do the Rico Bronian. Of course, Rico played for the Philadelphia Phillies. <laughs> like, that's what I want the week leading up to the divisional series. But we got a long way to go. We'll give you Rico Bronia Sunday after that series ends, after this series ends. Get you ready for the next series, which is against Cincinnati, and then a big weekend against the Philadelphia Phillies. Thank you for listening to Rico Bronia. We hope you enjoyed this episode 
of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.